Attention, everyone. This is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to episode 80 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast that is 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. And, you know, normally we're just bi-monthly, but this is a special bonus episode specifically for April 2013. We're going to be talking about the Stumptown Comics Festival here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, my name is Kyle, and with me is Heather Brask. Hello. And, of course, we have uh, Stumptown guests with us, Paul Guinan. Hello. And Anina Bennett, both here. Greetings. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, coming to talk to our listeners about this amazing show that uh, is on its 10th year this year. So uh, that is awesome news. Special anniversary edition. Yes. And uh, it's now, is there anything special going on with the show that has to do just with the anniversary? Um, No, pretty much just the fact that the show made it 10 years is special <laughs> enough on its own. So... Uh, we are having we are having a, a number of events uh, around the. I should clarify, I'm not the director of the festival or anything, but I'm involved in some of the planning behind the scenes. You're, right. on, you're on the board. Yes, yes. In addition to being a guest, um, but I did not. I, I also have to clarify, I did not lobby for myself to be a guest. Right. <laughs> um, so there are going to be some special events going on, uh, but there's not a specific, you know, like giant tenth anniversary uh, thing. Gotcha. There will be a uh, there will be various parties. Um, we have an official Stumptown sponsored uh, party on Saturday night, April twenty seventh, at the Jupiter Hotel. That's going to be a lot of fun. Fantastic, fantastic. There will be a variety of forms of entertainment, including uh, music, the Stumptown Awards, the art battle, the comic art battle, which is always fun. Awesome. Now, uh, 
listeners out there may recognize the names Paul Guinan and Anya Bennett because I have talked about you guys during uh, our local events section when you guys were doing your Frank Reed stuff. Oh, thank you. So they they are the creators because I don't know your actual like individual titles on those books. So I'm I know we keep it mysterious. You so will notice there are no credits in those books <laughs> that tell you what we did. They're the creators of Boilerplate and uh, Frank Reed. Uh, well, you're not the creator of Frank Reed, but you're creator of this no, book. I, the, I, the recreators of recreators, Frank Reed. Yeah. yeah, I created the Boilerplate character, which yes. was a website for almost a decade before it became a book. And the website actually was sort of a proto version of the template that's now used by online comics, where you post your stuff when you can, and then eventually it gets collected into a book. So uh, Boilerplate for about 10 years, I would just post little pictures and little sort of anecdotes about the pictures, and then Anina would edit them. But when it came down to actually producing a book, when we did get a book deal, uh, then Anina came on board fully as co-author and uh, used yeah, her wordsmith skills. The book is, is not just a collection of what was on the website. It's very different. Um, and we probably should explain to people what the book is about. Sure. Well, actually, <laughs> what I would, I'd like to just lead into that by saying that I actually, uh, and Paul, I talked to you about this like ages ago but i saw the boilerplate website way way back in the day like i would like to say it was probably soon after it was launched when there were a in lot the of 1990s? people yes, in the 1990s <laughs> actually actually the thing it was launched in 2000 so it'd okay. be the, it'd be the knots oh, okay there yeah you the go. knots Phew. so it wasn't that like, long those knots. i totally remember looking at it and uh i think someone sent it to me it was like is this real and i t <laughs> i looked at it and i was like if this isn't real it's really well done like the the Thanks. photoshopping of boilerplate which uh, is a automated man, an automaton. Yes, an auto a robot. Yes, yes, yes. A robot. Uh, but the ro word robot wasn't invented until about 1920. So anything before that, if you go on a Google search, you know, for robots in the 19th century, you have to use phrases like automaton, mechanical, mechanical man, man yes. things like that. Right on. So how did you guys get involved just with the boilerplate uh, concept? Like, this is something you thought up by yourself. Yes, this, is, this came out of my love of history. And a particular love that I have for historical fiction, because no one person was present at any given era's key events and mm -hmm. met all their key people. So the era I'm fascinated by is late 19th century, early 20th century. And I realized that if I wanted to do any kind of story that involved those events, I would have to create a fictional protagonist. And so as I started to develop it, I realized even better than having a human protagonist who has a specific hair color or skin color or whatever, why not make it a robot? And then that way it has more of universal appeal. He can be an avatar for the reader to take them through like an MC or tour guide through that era in history. And I'd always been a fan of also historical pieces that were, that were fiction that were presented as if they were real. Like I grew up uh, reading things like, you know, Michael Crichton's Andromeda Strain, which the original novel is presented as if it's a declassified oh, uh, yes. uh, thing. From, and it actually has an extensive fake bibliography in the back. <laughs> I remember as a kid just really being into that idea. So when I conceived this, I thought, let's try and put it across as if this was, if this had really happened and this robot had been forgotten about. It's been now rediscovered. So, so, so as, as we mentioned earlier, that went on for, as a website for a while. And it was because people were buying into it, because they thought it was for real. Right. They started to get some press. And at one point, uh, it, it really spiked uh, the whole idea that, that someone online was trying to hoax people. And that got the attention of a publisher and through a very securitous way wound up getting us a book deal. But it was because of people thinking that it was for real that it got the attention it did. That's very cool. It, it's, uh, I think like the Photoshopping is one thing just to see like uh, old, 
old school photos, like old style photos that have boilerplate inserted into them. That's awesome. But I think some of the, in the book, you have a lot of actual drawings of, of that really, really look like historical stuff you'd see in like newspapers or, or history books with the, with boilerplate in like a battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the stuff. I mean, I love that stuff. And that's what, uh, um, it's, I think that sort of like revisionist picture, uh, historical fiction is really kind of grabbed a hold uh, these days and it's very popular like mm-hmm. the whole uh like abraham lincoln vampire hunter and um <laughs> that's where you go immediately yeah, yeah. You go. Did, did you not <laughs> well, see that movie well we no, well, well actually we, we, i have it, it was actually pretty awesome we, we did see my, it. it my it, sister saw it she liked it we yeah. did see it. it had some awesome action sequences <laughs> yeah i mean the difference between that that kind of stuff is very popular and our book occupies our books occupy sort of a middle ground between that kind of stuff and um, historical fiction in prose, like you know, sort of Gore Vidal, the more you know, highfalutin literary model. That's we're my, both we're both big fans of Gore Vidal. That's my favorite work. example is Gore Vidal's historical fiction, 1876 Empire. So in these books, we're not really changing history very much. So we're not doing it's not an alternate history in the way that something like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is. That's an alternate history oh, okay. with fantasy elements. These are historical fiction where the characters are just kind of moving through history without affecting it too much. So if you subtract our characters, you still get history pretty much. Oh, okay. Yeah, the actual, the closest pop culture example that I think your viewers might plug into is the Young Indiana Jones TV series. Okay. Where, where here he's running around, and, and actually the, the TV series had, had very little to do with the movies in, it, in that the movies had uh, supernatural elements in them, you know, magic and God coming in and destroying people's So faces. our stories have science fiction elements in them, like the right. robot. Right. But the Young Indy series had none of that. It was straight historical adventures, and all the history was correct. And they even actually, in the box set, which, which I, I recommend, they even have Lucas-produced documentaries, half-hour little documentary things, that, that back up the episode and show you that, yes, this person existed and these events happened. Oh, that's awesome. I've never seen any of the special features, but I definitely have seen some of the uh, Young Indiana Jones stuff. That's yeah, not... you can. Anybody out there listening, you can skip the ones with the little kid. Yeah, those are the ones I saw. <laughs> oh, no, you, you no, missed, know, the, you missed the good ones then. Yeah. It, no, go directly to volume two, the War Years. Who is that? When uh, it's uh, Sean Patrick Phoenix? Flannery, right? Oh, Sean Wasn't, Patrick. Yeah, Flannery, who's not yeah. the greatest actor in the world, but he did a perfectly good job as Young Indy. I, I actually yeah. liked him on that show. <laughs> Disc two, you say? No, yeah, the bo- there's, there's three box sets. There's uh, his, him as a little kid. Him during World War One, and the third one is at, you know, 1920s. I'm now actually sorry for you that those are the only ones that you've seen. <laughs> yeah, that's... It's one of those things where I got it from the, the library, and I... I and then why would you go on it. from there if you watched the little kid episodes? You'd be like, oh, well, I, I guess I'm done with that. I didn't, but that was because the library wanted it back, so I was like, fine. <laughs> oh. I've, I've done this with Kyle with a couple different things to say, so... You've had some experience with it. I will show you something else. We yeah. will skip this season entirely, right. <laughs> which is the only thing you've seen. I'll take you directly into what is actually entertaining, and then well, that's you'll how probably you got me go into back. Home, that's how you got yes. me into home movies. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, because I couldn't take the... I didn't like the... What was it? The shaky drawn... Uh, squiggle vision. Squiggle vision, yeah. yeah. wasn't a fan. But yeah, that's a good Neither point. Neither here nor there, but... Yeah. yeah. So you guys... When did you... The book came out in... The the website started in 2000. Uh, the book deal we got around 2007. It took us a few years of solid work where we just put well, our nose to the grindstone. And he's telling you the oversimplified story where we don't talk about the fact that it actually went through two different publishers. Oh, okay. Because the first one went under. Um, but we Yay. wound up with a better publisher. The whole history of Boilerplate it was this like 
something horrible would happen and we were like that's the end we're never going to be able to do anything with this character but then it would lead to something better so oh okay but you guys so the the iteration that i have here the the book is this was this sort of the vision from the start yeah yeah, yeah that was that was always my intent just to do because i also grew up on those time life history books right as a kid, yeah and any kind of pop fiction coffee table uh or i'm sorry pop history coffee table book where it's very profusely illustrated I was all over that. So Yeah, we both love yeah. all that stuff. And I'm I'm fascinated by doing historical research too. And so when it came to doing the text, I would do sort of similar things to what Paul does with the images. I would I wrote a lot of the text in there, but I also would find period newspaper accounts that were related to whatever story we were doing. Yeah. And pull something out of that or pull something out of like Lawrence of Arabia's diary and just insert a line about the robot. <laughs> that's awesome. This uh, that's actually one of the more striking features about the book itself is that it's very much like you know like a history book which but fun, is but very fun. cool no 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 like an <laughs> awesome history book uh the fact that it's like not really real is is uh is the best part it's like, it's mostly real most that's right we've actually had <laughs> that's a lot why i said really real one like, of our favorite pieces of feedback about that book is that um which came out towards the end of 2009 i don't think we ever actually answered that question but one of our favorite pieces of feedback that we get is when people, uh, you know, pick it up and start going through it. And they, and they when they get the concept, they immediately start yelling about, oh, my God, I wish I had had this when I was in high school. This should be in every school. <laughs> it actually is used by homeschoolers and by some schools in their curriculum, in their historical. I mean, they obviously have a qualification about, OK, kids, the robot isn't real. But this is their sort of gateway drug to get them interested in real history, <laughs> as it were. That's and it was part of our intent was to try to make uh, make history fun because it's full of adventure stories that have a direct impact on the world that we live in now. So, well, and I always I always said that history has been history has always been one of my favorite subjects. It's, however, not one of my favorite subjects in public school. No, it's not taught because very it's, well. No, for it's, a lot it's of, taught a lot very of poorly. There's a lot of really interesting things in history that for some reason school that they make... doesn't touch on. Yeah, and a lot of it is about, unfortunately, especially since they changed the, you know, the testing routines, it's just about rote memorization of mm, dates yeah. and places and things like that. And then you lose the narrative and you lose the personalities and you lose the connection to the to how did that shape the world that we live in, which is all the things that we get excited about. <laughs> exactly. I'm, yeah, I'm horrific with numbers. So the idea of memorizing dates makes no sense to me. Does it matter if the, if the declaration was signed on July 4th or July 5th? And it makes no difference. Why do we need to know it's July 4th? So we know when to go see fireworks? <laughs> That's right. That's Bad example there, Paul. <laughs> so it's a, if you a show long... up on the 5th, you're going to be disappointed, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're in Chicago. don't they? Oh, no, they have them on the 3rd and the 4th in Chicago. Where they oh, used to. yeah. If you're here in my neck of the woods, If you're woods, here, it's a, it's a two-week-long yeah, celebration, exactly. so yeah. you'll have plenty of chances. Yeah. It's June. Let's yeah, start yeah, some fireworks. Exactly. <laughs> it's August. Maybe we should wrap the fireworks up. Uh, and so long, <laughs> long haul with the with the book though, like ten. Essentially we call like it our ten, ten year, ten year yeah. overnight success because <laughs> because for actually one of my favorite stories to tell about this about this project is uh, from uh, I, I I'm a co-founder of Periscope Studio, uh, which has now grown to be about two dozen artists, and one of them this this industry veteran named Carl Kiesel, who is a dear friend of mine. He was uh, I had talked to him about this boilerplate project for almost a decade. And uh, he told me that once he got the book in his hands, he finally got it. That for um, years, you know, I would describe it to him, and he was like, oh, "Okay, that, okay, that sounds interesting." But it, it didn't pat, click. Pat until you on the back of the hand and right. say, "Sure, Paul, of exactly. course." Well, I would say <laughs> so, just the difference between the website and the book is uh, huge. I mean, it's even though it's not really that big of a difference, just seeing it like I guess in 
book format with, you know, the tactile version that you can flip through and sort of like, you know, go back and forth. There is a substantial difference. I mean, the the book has tons of material that's that was never on the website, for one thing. And even the material that's on the website when we did the book. I rewrote a lot of that and mm. put it in a larger context and tried to weave it together so that there would be some kind of connecting thread and some kind of theme and character arc with the guy who invents the robot because the robot has no personality so he's he's got no arc. Right, he's right. Got no, you've got no arc. <laughs> well, so somebody had to have one. The inventor has an arc in right, the book. Right, right. But 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 I I I I bring that up uh, about about the project clicking with people once it was in its final physical form as a book. To, that that this is also everything that's come, all the success that's come afterwards. Like uh, as soon as the book came out, then people in Hollywood who were interested in the website had a copy of the book, oh. and then they go, "Oh, okay, now we get it, and now we can send it out to people and get people's interests." And so very quickly, right after the book was published, we wound up getting a, a movie deal. So so it's it's like just exploded after the but after the book came out, which is I you know my actually the project is a great lesson for artists out there who you know who talk about their projects and her their friends or their colleagues are, are sort of waffling on oh that sounds interesting but well, okay all right if, if that's your thing then go ahead and do it and it's only when you know they artist an artist realizes this project and even if it takes like a decade the lesson here is that you know to believe in your vision and just keep working on it keep working on it regardless of what kind of feedback you're getting Excellent. I like how, in a totally roundabout way, without actually coming out and saying it, Paul just called himself a genius. <laughs> no, what? Huh? Wait. Well, you know, genius is never appreciated in its own time. It takes it takes a long time for people to tell your ideas is silly. No, I thought the, I thought I was describing just being stubborn. <laughs> that too, you know, you have to be stubborn to stubborn be a genius geniuses. and have your ideas come to fruition, right? So, do you guys uh, want to talk a little bit about the 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 movie option happy on to this? happy to um we uh we had uh, a relationship with a boutique production company in hollywood when it was a website somebody had seen a copy of of, of the heartbreakers we, we did a, a, a graphic novel heartbreakers meet boilerplate where boilerplate makes a little appearance in one of our graphic novels heartbreakers mm-hmm. and uh he brought it attention to the he brought that to the attention of this boutique company who then checked out our website was totally into the character but didn't know how to deal with it or sell it or anything like that. And this was just about less than a year before the book came out. So once the book came out and they said, okay, now we have something that we can send out. And it was much more exciting for them than sending out some kind of treatment. It's a few pages long or having somebody sit in a meeting somewhere and pitch it verbally to some studio executive. Oh, just tell them who optioned the movie for God's sake. So, <laughs> so they, they asked us, they, so when, even, but even once they got the book, they were still like sort of thrown. It's like, okay, now what, how, how are we going to deal with this? What should we do with this? And so they actually solicited our feedback, which is super rare in Hollywood. And they said, uh, who, who do you think would be a good fit? And the suggestion we gave them was J.J. Abrams. We had just seen the Star Trek film. Right. And we were super impressed. Yeah, we like that Abrams kid. We think he's going places. Yeah, he's got some talent. <laughs> so we saw... So we, we, he's a newcomer, but he's going to go far. He's, he's going places. <laughs> so uh, we, had, we had just seen the Star Trek movie where he took a property which had all kinds of, of its own history, an entire historical record of the Federation of Planets and all this these character backstories, and he was able to do a film that did not require your knowledge of any of that. You can go into the, 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 the first of the new Star Trek films and not know anything about anything that's going yes. on. Yes, what that. is this Star Trek? Right. And it's you all laid out. Of. But it included enough stuff from that massive history 
to satisfy the fans who liked the movie. You know, you could go into it and I know a lot of fans, you know, there were fans who didn't like it, but we loved it. And if you are a fan, you could go in, enjoy the historical references. If you weren't a fan, you could go in and it didn't matter if you were familiar with all that history or not. And that's what the boilerplate movie needs is, is that kind of attitude. And plus, he had already established himself as, as, as a person whose production company was, uh, was so focused on quality that everything that's come out of Bad Robot has not sucked. Now, some of it may not connect to you personally. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not think that Super 8 is the greatest film ever, but it wasn't a bad movie. So, right. so, so the, the, his track record and his fascination with not just retro sci-fi, but what I realized is, is, a, is after, uh, after we suggested him, that J.J. Abrams has this obsession with parallel realities. It shows up in Lost, in Star Trek, and Fringe. And if you look at a photograph of Boilerplate, it looks like it's taking place in a parallel reality right next to ours. So it connected to him on a personal level. Oh, that's awesome. So it is um, under option with J.J. Abrams producing. Um, it's under option by Paramount because he has a deal with Paramount. Um, and we can only talk about things that have been publicly announced. It's Understandable. It's in, Understandable. It's in active development. We can assure people that we actually recently learned some new developments that are happening. It, um, is, it is active. Yeah. But, Fantastic. Yeah, forward. but the, the most recent thing that was announced is that uh, is when they hired on the screenwriters, and um, the screenwriters are J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, um, who, kind of like Boilerplate, are a 10-year overnight success. They've been writing together for a long time. Nice. And they just recently started to hit it. They've sold a number of um, scripts at a very high level that a lot of people are excited about. We're excited about them. We've had some great conversations with them, and we... Uh, hope that the next announcement will be when they attach a director to it that is fantastic fantastic yes we are totally stoked believe yeah. me yeah we just got a call last weekend that, that that was very encouraging about everything is moving forward very nicely and it's all happening very cool congratulations on that uh so switching gears slightly you your your second book here that i have is the frank reed adventures in the age of invention which is a companion book to Boilerplate. They're basically set in the same universe. And they're in the same format, the same scale. They're supposed to sit, you know, like if you get, if we work up a slipcover case, we could put them both in there. The, the, yeah, exactly. The same size. They're on my bookshelf like together. I would yeah. like a uh, leather attache case. For oh, them. Yeah. oh, yeah. And by the way, folks, these, these books are pretty. They are illustrated hardcover oh, books. So. Gorgeous books. And they're, uh, the, the reason I brought up the history book uh, aspect of it earlier was because you know, whenever whenever I've talked to comics creators, typically you're you're talking about single issues, you're talking about graphic novels, and this is just something I've never really seen before. And I I know that everybody who I show it to is like really impressed with it. So we're actually you know quite, what one of the number one comments is when people look at the books at our table? Oh my god, how long did this take you guys? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, what, it was just a piece of paper and a number two pencil, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. Exactly it's so, right. it's so, it's very, in my opinion, in my experience, I would say it's very, very unique in, 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 uh, we're in very the proud of that. that Actually, that, that's something that we can boast at at our table at any given show is, is that there's, you've never seen anything like this before. It's, it's its own beast. Now, boilerplate, you guys created all, by yourselves independently, but right. Frank Reed is a little bit of a different story, right? Yeah, right. Bo- Paul created the concept and the character of Boilerplate, and then for the book, um, he, you know, we work on the stories together. He does the images, and then I do most of the writing. Frank Reed is a pre-existing dime novel character from the 19th century who is actually one of the very first uh, heroes in the history of science fiction. Actually, actually, the Frank Reed uh, dime novel series was the first science fiction periodical ever in world history. So what kind of dates are, pe- are you like, talking about when you're talking about Starting the in 1876, Frank Reed? going up through about 1905. Wow. That's, 
pretty old. Yeah. yeah, they were um they they were they were so popular that they were reprinted over and over and over again. So they had a finite number of stories that were reprinted. Um, I think actually into the twenties and had a really heavy influence on the first generation of science fiction, what we now consider like the golden age of science fiction authors and editors. Absolutely, if people have this perception that science fiction begins with Verne and Wells and the Europeans at mm-hmm. the end of in the eighteen eighties, but actually no. It did if uh, for hardcore researchers, you can go back decades and look at America in the eighteen seventies and, and early eighties and see stories about robots and and helicopter airships and all kinds of wacky stuff. So Frank Reed is an inventor. He was the one of the prototypical inventor heroes. Um and he in the original dime novels invents these he starts out inventing um he and his dad start out inventing like steam powered robots and then he quickly moves into electricity and starts making electric robots, electric horses and then vehicles and then it's just one insane weaponized vehicle after another. Land. Giant helicopter yeah. airships, <laughs> uh, you know, bad these things I call battle wagons because I don't know what else to call them. Like these, you know, things with giant spikes on the front and battle swords. Wagon, that's a good and, name. I like and, that. And like electrified I mean, netting to repel invaders and stuff. If you're gonna do it, I mean, yeah, do it go, big. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> electric submarines, and they're all heavily weaponized. And he is a gleeful imperialist who just like winds up going out to the southwest and fighting Indians, running all over the world, and you know, like taking artifacts from Egypt and. Yeah. Bringing, like you do. That's right. You know, like, like you did in the 19th century yeah, as a white man, you know. The hero to the common man. Yes. Like bringing, bringing light to the darkest corners of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and ironically, written by this, this young guy who, in his teens and then later in his 20s, who was a first-generation Cuban-American. So it's interesting that a guy with brown skin is writing this imperialist adventure hero oh, who's, is, who's racist. Yeah, it's got, bizarre. it's got layers and layers of, of, of historical interest. And Frank Reed in the Dime Novels has these two... Um, sidekicks one of whom is black and one of whom is irish who are they're portrayed as heroic but also comic relief and sort of like lower life forms almost but here's but here's the interesting thing for me about this is is that uh his uh frank reed sidekick this guy named pomp this black guy as a sidekick in the stories he has to know how to repair all of his fantastic technology Mm -hmm. he has to be with him on adventures he has to be his crack shot great horseman so he's got these amazing what we'd call today mad skills (laughs) <laughs> but at the time, he was considered the second-class citizen, not really human. He spoke in this heavy dialect, which Anna, which Anna had to edit, you know, for some of our mm. passages where we reprint the actual oh, dime yeah, novel yeah. thing. So, so it was this really that had to be pleasant. Oh my god, yeah. it's a really interesting yeah. combination. Of, I was afraid people actually wouldn't understand it. It was so, it was so heavy. Yeah, but at the time, this character is crazy progressive. But then you look at him now and look back on the writing, and it's crazy racist. So, so. It's, so what we did was we we took all of these 19th century tropes and just looked at them through we rebooted the characters right. and looked at them through a 21st century lens. So it didn't change the fact that Frank Reed is a gleeful imperialist. It just looks different <laughs> when you're looking at, back at it from where we're sitting right. now. Because at the it? time that gleeful imperialism was a positive. It was like yeah, this is a good thing. Yeah, that we he need thinks to be of doing. himself as a good guy, and he's friends. And we already had established in the boilerplate book that he is friends with the guy who invents boilerplate, mm. and they have a little bit of a rivalry at first. Um, and they go on some adventures together. And so I really wanted to contrast him with Boilerplate's inventor, who is essentially has our viewpoint. He is politically progressive um, in, right. in most respects. And it's boring to do the same character over and over, first of all. And it wasn't true to the origins of the Frank Reed character. And it's really fun to write a character who's <laughs> not like you in so many ways. You know, it's like, like uh, it's sort of when actors talk about how they like playing bad guys because right. yeah. they get right. to really stretch right. their their, uh, and the their bad, wings. Right. And, and you don't approach it like the actor always says that he doesn't approach the villain as being a bad guy. 
that, that he has these motivations that he thinks are valid. Right. right. Villains right. don't yeah. think of themselves as villains usually. No. Yeah. So, yeah, so I got sometimes. to have them. Like, they have some, <laughs> well, in comic books, sometimes they do. Uh, in poorly written comic books, anyway. Um, Those so, guys who want so to destroy have... the world, they, they're doing it for everybody's good. That's right. <laughs> That's right. They, they always have some other agenda. Um, but that part was really fun to write this character who's so completely different from us. And I got to have him have political arguments with Archie Campion, Boilerplate's inventor, you know, by letter, of course. They had to actually right, right. physically mail things to each other because it was the 19th century. And and so in the book, we spun it out so that Frank Reed has this whole family. It's a multi-generational family of inventors. They all build these crazy vehicles. It covers a longer time period than Boilerplate. And it has uh, it does have some reprints of excerpts from the dime novels that relate to the stories that we did. And it also is packed with um, beautiful, gorgeous 19th century, like what now we would call retrofuturist mm. illustrations, engravings that Paul has restored to. Um, they probably look better now than when they were first. Absolutely, published. they do because because uh, they were you know published on newsprint and with cheap ink and stuff like that, and they they quickly turned yellow. And so so I went back in to all this material and uh, made it look not just as good as it possibly could be, but probably better than it was ever <laughs> printed. Yeah. And 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 most of this material. I'd say more than 90% of all the uh, Frank Reed images from these dime novels, this is the first time they're seeing print in 100 years. This is the first time that anybody has seen this material. And in fact, I discovered Frank Reed when I was doing the research for Boilerplate. So, oh, okay. so, so that, that's why Anna was mentioning about how we could fold in the character Frank Reed right. to be friends with, you know, and take place in the same universe as, as Archie Campion and Boilerplate. And in fact, I was so excited about discovering this truly lost legacy of science fiction that I wanted to do the boilerplate. I wanted to do the Frank Reed book before boilerplate because I thought this is a public domain character. Someone's going to jump on it. But then I quickly realized that nobody, nobody has a collection of these Frank Reeds. They're super rare. Over years and years and years, I've only amassed maybe a dozen issues out of the hundreds that were published. So I relaxed and wow. realized that the only way that I could ever do this Frank Reed book is if I got access to a library or a university or a private collector. There is one man. And there was one guy <laughs> in, in Long Island who is this periodical collector of 19th century periodicals who did have, have the largest collection of Frank Reed. He has like 80% of the issues. Oh, wow. So I contacted the guy and, and luckily at the time, Boilerplate had come out and I was able to send him a copy of the book and explain to him the premise and he went along with it. And so I, he invited me out to his place, and so for a week I stayed with him and went through his library and scanned and scanned and scanned for an entire week. There's and, a page about him in Frank Reed towards the end, actually. We gave him a, a little page. Yeah. Joe, Joe Raynone, that's yeah. a real guy. Yeah, because if it weren't for him, uh, the Frank Reed material, it, it, the book could never have been accomplished. And so, uh, so, so this is not just unique in terms of its format or whatever, but it's also the, this is also an artifact of this lost, uh, lost 19th century uh, uh, character, which, which, which we're very proud to have restored in the proper place in the science fiction timeline. Yeah, well, it's, it sounds like a huge undertaking for you guys to, to do the second book. What was the time period between starting and, and uh, not, not enough time we can do that sure yeah. and then oh my god what did we agree to yeah we had about we had about two years and some months to to get the frank reed book done and the only and the boilerplate took took uh if we sit down and think about it, it took about maybe three or four years of work for boilerplate and we thought half that time for frank reed luckily I was working with a lot of pre-existing artwork from this. Frank oh, Reed right. Thing. Yeah. So, so that helped. So I didn't have to create whole cloth. I just had to do heavy restoration. Yeah. It. Meanwhile, I, I had a terrible writer's block because it was much, much harder to structure than boilerplate because it involves all these different characters with overlapping timelines in their lifespans in the family. And a much larger time period. 
And we, it was like a blank slate. We didn't have these points in their lives that were already filled in like we did with Boilerplate. We had already done these stories that right. Paul had come up with for the website where it's like, we know when he was invented. We know when he when when he's in World War One. We know when he meets Pancho Villa. You know, we know when he meets Teddy Roosevelt. But with Frank Reed, the the actual stories in the dime novels are all focused on the adventure of th that issue. So they don't have any backstory about his family. They the only clues oh, that you can like get. Oh, and like no continuity either. That's what I was actually just about to ask. Like, this so is if they're all like individual pieces, like, did you have to figure out like, you know? Hypothetically speaking, like, okay, well, first we're going to have uh, issue five, and then we have to jump to issue t 23, and then s stuff no, like that. No, it was like, actually more like, we did try to pick out a few events from them to 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 loosely base the, the character's personal timeline on, mm -hmm. but it was more a matter of looking at the types of adventures that, that he went on in the countries that he went to, and then figuring out real historical events and personalities that we were interested in talking about and writing about. Um, that we would be able to find imagery for that was somehow related to that. So like Africa, for example, he goes to Africa a lot. Paul got really interested in this story of the Belgian Congo and King cool. Leopold. And then I have figured out a way to hook them up with Henry Morton Stanley and, and, you know, on this one expedition in the Congo. And then we have this story about the Congo. That's so cool. You guys have like such a great, uh, like essentially you guys have a great working relationship with the product that you make it's awesome well we we recognize our you know weeks weaknesses and strengths i mean and and the way that actually the easiest way to boil it down in terms of describing our, our process is that i do the bones and she does all of the muscles and skin and stuff like that so i, I like come up with stuff, the, the basics and then sometimes i come up with these things that are that are pretty far apart from each other you know like uh, i want to do this this i want to do this a thing and i also want to do this b or the a, you know a z thing and then she has to figure out the letters in between to connect the a and the z so uh, sometimes I really challenge her with, uh, you know, let's let's take this character and have him do this thing, and then she's got a shoehorn. That. Yeah, and for both books, actually, before I started doing the serious writing, um, we put together a timeline where we basically took a timeline and went dump and like put every single event <laughs> and country and you know setting that we possibly might be interested in in it, and then whittled it down to the ones that you mm -hmm. know actually made sense and that were the most interesting and then focused on the ones that we have hit it with a siphon for. and let things settle yeah yeah kind of <laughs> pretty much <laughs> and then and then the other thing that uh, that got us that, that keeps us enthusiastic about the about the next project because on the surface it seems like oh this is a, sort of like a, a, a sequel or just another 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 volume mm -hmm. of this same premise um but but we were able to 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 do two different things with it like for instance uh, Anna and I describe uh, the two books as being uh, a boilerplate is like John Stewart, Frank Reed is like Stephen Colbert. Okay. So we have so we're so so they're both news sort of spoofs, right? But but they're taking a completely different approach. To, both to, each has a different voice, right, right? 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 And Frank Reed is the is written a little bit more like a biography. Boilerplate is written a little more like a like a, a fun pop history book, right? Like a textbook. Where, right. Whereas Frank Reed is much has much more of a personal tone to it. And then one of the exciting things for us. Uh, being also political junkies, is that the boilerplate book was pretty much just straightforward adventure with a little bit of political commentary, and not and and we got really great feedback about that, about how our politics seemed to be straight on, um, but that they weren't pervasive and they didn't hit you over the head or anything like that, and people, you know, people sort of didn't really pay attention to it the way I thought that they might. Right. So except, we just, except for that one guy on Amazon. Well, yeah, there, there's oh, always there. one. Like, there's always one why, guy on Amazon. Why do you hate America? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. Oh no! So, wait, I learned the answer of this. Actually, I, I learned the answer to why you hate America earlier. Not you per se, but uh, uh, 
people who hate America hate bottomless mimosas. That's what I was informed of today. So just so you know, <laughs> okay. if anybody asks you that, the answer is because they hate bottomless mimosas. That's, that's so, a terrible, terrible so, so we were encouraged to, uh, to take the Frank Reed to the next level and to really infuse it with heavy, heavy doses of social political commentary that, that we're very, very proud of. Like one of the, one of the things um, that I've always been interested in is this is this period in history called the Banana Wars, which is covering several decades and is essentially about our repeated interventions into South American, Central American politics. We invaded multiple countries, Nicaragua and Honduras and all these people over and over and over again throughout the 19th century and into the 20th century. But there's never been any pop history about that. There's mm. been these academic tomes that are kind of a slogs to plow through. And I had to research, you know, and, and, and read some of these things. But uh, no one has ever done a, a sort of a, this accessible general audience thing about the Banana Wars. And, this is, and so I'm super proud that, uh, that there's this whole section of Frank Reed that's all about the Banana Wars. And, and, and again, another one of these things like the Congo thing that we mentioned earlier, very heavy political subject, very heavy, very dark. And, um, and so I, I would write these sidebars for, for, for some of that, the just straight histories that were super dark. And then on and on had this unenviable task of writing the main body copy involving our hero in these stories, but keep it breezy, keep it adventure, keep it fun, keep mm -hmm. it, you know, keep people from going, oh man, I'm just putting down this book and going, oh, that's a bummer. So, 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 so. Yeah, the, how am I going to write a story about the Belgian Congo where people are getting their hands chopped off and, you know, being right. worked as slave labor, but have it be a fun adventure story. Right. And so this is, so this is like one of those things where a working relationship really comes, you know, like we really, really show, show off each other's skills. Is because you know I want to go to these places that are like are super important to me. It's like people got to know about the Belgian Congo. People got to know about yeah, the banana both, wars. Yeah, we both do. And so, but but Anna, you know, is able to spin that into something that's entertaining. You know, how do you how do you take something like? We hope. You know, yes, exactly, exactly, <laughs> right. So so kudos to Anna for 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 walking that tightrope. Well, it is a gorgeous gorgeous book. Both of them are gorgeous books, and I'm very proud to have them in my collection. We are um, we are proud that they're in your collection. Sweet. And we, and we only, should we, give credit to the designers. We worked with professional graphic designers on oh, cool. both of those. Our publisher hires the designers and then lets us art direct it. And both of those books were extremely difficult to design, and we are eternally grateful to the yeah. designers. Yeah, yeah. The only regrets that we have about this project is, is that we can't freeze time, spend the two or three years working on them, and then unfreeze time because because uh, you know a lot of our friends are involved in things that are more periodical in nature. You know, we have a lot of people in comic books and publishing that that produce that seem to produce material faster and more right, often right. than we do. Yeah, like you're probably not going to see another book from us for a couple of years. So. Right. So, <laughs> so it's kind of tough, you know, to like have a couple of years go by and and you know you're hanging out with all of your friends who have had oh, and my book came out this year, and his book came out this year, and that book came out last year. And what's going What's going on with you? Oh, my book won't be out for another two years. <laughs> what is the what yes, is your what next is, project? What is the next we're, we're actually, we're going to do a third volume, but because these things are so insane and labor intensive, it, the third volume is going to be literally half the size. We well, have we we don't know if that's going to be our next one or not. We have a couple of different things that we're going to talk to Abrams Books about. Um, one of which is that we would actually like to do boilerplates uh, boilerplate children's books. Um, which, oh, that would oh, be cool! That would be so awesome. You got the cutest look on your face. You, I, I wish you guys like, to see his he just, face. Oh my god! He just made the father. daddy face. That was that like was, that was the dad I, face. I wish I had a photo yeah. of that face for market research purposes. Actually, um, Let's see if I can reproduce it. That was yeah. nope. so cute. Um, so yeah, we're excited just, about that. <laughs> we haven't formally pitched it yet, but our yeah. publisher is conditionally excited about it. And then the other thing that we would like to do that's going to be, I, I think, take us longer to get to get to because it's more labor intensive. 
the third volume Paul talked about is we want to do a book about Kate Reed, who is the daughter of Frank Reed, who's my favorite character in the book. Excellent. Um, and who is basically non-existent in the dime novels. Like we pretty much made. No, it actually, up. there was this, this weird story where uh, when I when I was um, I, I was doing a Frank Reed website at the same time as Boilerplate back in the day. This is almost eight ten years ago, and uh, I was starting to develop a Frank Reed, you know, like sort of world. And one of the things I noticed is that there was no chicks in it. I said, got to have the ladies <laughs> present. So I came up with this character called Kate Reed, and I named it Kate after Kate Hepburn and, and, and Kate Mulgrew, who played the captain on the Voyager. And, uh, yes. and then later, <laughs> I'm later, a huge Voyager fan. <laughs> years later, I stumbled across the very, very last issue of Frank Reed, which mentions a brief appearance in the very last issue of the daughter of Frank Reed, who is Kate Reed. That's the hell that's awesome that was just <laughs> blew my mind so so anna actually had you the must just were really in tune to the whole something, frank reed stuff something yeah it was yeah exactly so so anna had uh, a completely blank slate to which she could create the, the you know the the kate reed character yeah. whole cloth because there was nothing there absolutely nothing she's there. a pistol <laughs> i bet she is i like her yeah, so, and she's so, the point of view character in Frank Reed. The uh, the way that the narrative unfolds is that she finds her father's secret journals and letters and things after he dies and learns all this stuff about his adventures that she didn't know when he was alive. Um, and she survives into the 1930s and winds up uh, doing, well, we don't want to go too deep into the plot, I guess, but it, re it revolves around her doing um, espionage in the Pacific Theater during the run-up to uh, World War II. Right, because... Because I've I'm some huge, uh, we were talking about with this crazy before. super secret science, right. you know. Oh, and Kyle, I'm, I'm sold. Kyle, I'm we sold. were talking about this before we went on the air about uh, our our fascination with Japanese culture. Your 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 thing about Japanese monsters and my thing about uh, samurai, and uh, so and I know a lot of our friends are really into Asian culture, and you know, there's this whole thing called anime and manga that's apparently out there. Hmm. I have to look into. I've heard about these things, and uh, so so, Familiar. but the, but the thing is, is that when you when you talk about some basic stuff uh, that has huge impact on 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 our current world situation, and and also in Japanese culture, which is why did this tiny little island take on this behemoth, the United States? Why was Pearl Harbor bombed? Mm -hmm. You. People can't answer that question clearly. Uh, uh, I, I don't know, and and that's like one of the most pivotal events of the 20th century. And if people can't, if people can't get, you know, come up with a good explanation about it, if everybody's be, be, answer is, I, I, I know why. I know why. Because they hate bottomless mimosas. That's ah. right. <laughs> See, it's the answer to everything. Bringing it back. Yes. And plus, I've always enjoyed that. You know, the, the sort of diesel punk. You know, Indiana Jones, Sky Captain, Captain America kind right. of you know vibe thing. And so uh, we decided to uh, to do this thing where we have Kate Reed uh, in the run-up to World War II uh, operating in the Pacific and explain just how World War II in the Pacific began. And then and then for for the for the just one more little tidbit to tease you guys, and that you'll have to wait for two years to to, to be. <laughs> I'll put fulfilled. it on my calendar right. for 2015. <laughs> is, is that is that it, is that the whole thing about giant robots? That actually came out of boilerplate technology. Back in the 1930s, some Japanese scientists got a hold of some boilerplate technology. <laughs> Anna has just kicked me. She doesn't, want me to, she doesn't want me to go any further with this, but it will all be revealed how the giant robot craze came out of boilerplate. I, what I was going to say is just two words, giant robot. So <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> I'm yes. In. It's definitely, I, I mean, I unfortunately have to wait, but 
I'm I'm totally into it. And and to bring it back to the earlier thing about how uh, a, a pop culture relationship. I sense another kick coming. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. And to bring it back to how, uh, to the earlier mention about how Boilerplate, uh, the book, is similar to the Young Indiana Jones um, TV series. This Kate Reed book will have that Indiana Jones vibe, except instead of instead of a dude, it's a chick. Instead of fighting Nazis, there she's fighting Japs. Gotcha. So it'll be that kind of vibe. And instead of like the Ark of the Covenant, it's science. Yes. Yeah, instead of supernatural, yeah. <laughs> right supernatural stuff. That, that, uh, actually, that, yeah. I have to admit, that's Don't where... look directly at the science. <laughs> Don't look at the science. Where do you think that song Blinded by Science came from? Uh, so uh, one last thing I wanted to talk about, and this uh, just, just sort of just for me and, and my own uh, interest level here. So, you know, it is I your a, show. I have a, my show. <laughs> uh, I have a big collection of, of stuff here. And uh, one of the things that I was uh, most interested in when I saw you guys at comic shows is that you all, and I'm assuming you had some input as well, Anina, is you created an actual boilerplate figurine like little i yes. knew he was oh yeah paul this. paul paul makes the models uh made the models for both books i only provide you know aesthetic input gotcha right. yeah yeah for the for the boilerplate book i had to build a one six scale 12 inches or so articulated figurine that i could photograph and insert with photoshop into vintage images so it has a real look because it's a real object yeah because even even if i was a master at 3d animation modeling you know wireframe modeling there would still be an artifice. You would still there'd still be that uh, you know that uncanny valley. You'd right. still sort of pick up on it in a slight way, but a physical object. And then especially because most of that photography was done daylight, they didn't have the shutter speeds or flash technology. Mm -hmm. So I just have to study the photo and then check the weather reports and get the you know the the yeah. overcast you know sun angle which, of the which sun, which in Portland means looking out your door. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and so so I so I would photograph an actual model. Overcast, we're good. <laughs> sun, you gotta wait five months. <laughs> so the similar thing with Frank Reed, his shtick is these fantastic vehicles of land, sea, and air. So I had to build a land, sea, and an air vehicle based on the designs in the dime novels, and then photograph those to quote unquote prove to the readers of Frank Reed that yes, this guy actually existed. Because I think we neglected to mention that the conceit of the Frank Reed book is even though this was a genuine dime novel fictitious hero, the book presents itself as what if this dime novel hero had been a real figure and this mm -hmm. is his biography. Right. And in order to sell that idea, you need photographic evidence of his yeah. fantastic helicopter airships and whatnot. The evidence that you need. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So when I saw the website, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I think the first time I saw you guys at the Portland Comic Book Show, you had the boilerplate on display. And oh, I, he went nuts. I br my brain broke a little bit. I was like, <laughs> oh, goodness. It's so cool. I was there. And then, I saw it yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah. And then you guys had stuff on display at Things from Another World when Frank Reed came out. And uh, yeah. it just so yeah. I think that's a great, great little aspect. Actually, we're of super proud of our. our, our a lot. Frank Reed book release. Like, I want to blab about that for just a second because this was something that Anina, Anina uh, organized that was just broke my brain a little bit. It was, um, we decided that uh, since these books only come out every few years, that we decided instead of just doing a Frank Reed book release at one bookstore or one comic oh, right, store, yeah. that we decided to go nuts with it. And because he has these land, sea, and air vehicles, in fact, right there on the cover, it's, you know, of the dime novels, it's Adventures in Land, Sea, and Air. We did three different book venues where we did a land 
thing with we had steampunks come in. We did a C thing where they had the people from PDXCR come in, and, and we did a whole choreographed fight stuff. Yeah, where that we, was the best. The mock pirate fight. Where Anna and I, you know, like uh, did fight choreography with one of the PDX guys, uh, Jamie Kirk, and uh, we 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 had this big battle between me playing Frank Reed and him him doing his pirate thing, and then for our final one. Uh, the air one we had. Uh, I was in the battle too. <laughs> yeah, with with her with her. Uh, what was what was the your stick fighting? I got to do Bartitsu and right. and like save the day at the end. That's right. That's right. And I, then, got to, I got to take Dan Clark down. That's right. That sounds swell. Big Dan Clark. <laughs> he went down. The lady took him down. And then for the final one, uh, we had it at things from other world to see thing where um, the folks from uh, the Alter Ego Society came on and did a little musical number. Uh, oh really and, and in costume and, and it was all just a one-off cool. it was like so this was partly for our own benefit because like paul said we only have a book once every few right. years also because in in portland there the comic book and public and you know just creative community here is so uh is such a high purport, proportion of the mm -hmm. population there's a book release party like every day in portland <laughs> and so so once yes. <laughs> so so i think this started because we accidentally committed to two different shops and then and then we were like oh what are we gonna do now well what if we did three and we called it the land sea and air tour hey yeah. maybe people we would actually get press for it people would yeah. come if we did that and so we made like made a little passport and people could get their passport stamped at each one and then they could get a prize at the end if they came to all three and we made like Frank Reed chocolate coins and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, custom so coins awesome. with, with, with Frank Reed's face on them, which worked out great because this whole thing was about, you know, treasure hunting and stuff like that. So the idea of doing these little coins with his face, you know, like a little embossed stamp. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, which are very affordable, by the way. If anybody needs a cool promotional item, you can get custom stamped foil covered chocolate coins relatively affordable. Do we need to add that to the prize pack list for next year's live show? Yes. Chocolate coins. Oh yeah, and you can get, you know, like whatever you want stamped on them pretty much. Screong? Screong. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Very nice. Uh, I knew part of the uh yeah. the, the the dad face when they mentioned the, the books was it's like, yeah, there's there's a dad face, there's a sweet moment there, but there's also will there be toys? Yeah. <laughs> I cannot deny that. Well, that has <laughs> sentiment at all. That's all tied up with the movie, so that has yeah. more to do with yes. when the when the movie. This happens. is this so. is yeah. The only downside about signing with you know like Paramount Pictures is that is that they come in and swoop in and they say, okay, we also want the toy rights. I mean, we get a piece of it, but yeah. you know, it's up to them to decide what yeah. toys and which and large scale diecast. <laughs> <laughs> but for anyone who for anyone who is planning uh, on coming to the Stumptown Comics Fest or who is in Portland and might be swayed to come to the Stumptown Comics Fest next weekend, which you should. Uh, which you should. Um you you will get a chance to see the original boilerplate model that Paul built. We will have it at Stumptown uh, this coming weekend in in addition to all our books and yeah, other Yeah. We stuff. never boilerplate never travels. Uh, he doesn't even go to the Seattle show. But it's it's relatively easy for me to transport it from our house to the Stumptown Fest. Right. Uh, and and just in the last year, there's this fellow, Michael Sov, who is building a, he's just a fan, he's building a full-scale boilerplate in his garage. And uh, so I had to lend him the model for a little while for him to use as a reference. And while he had possession of the model, he also built a little traveling case for the model. <gasps> Oh, cool. So I now have this little traveling case. Because he was very distressed that Paul used to carry it around in look, pretty much a shoebox shoe that, yeah. that was kind of too small. <laughs> so I'd have to bend his, his knees a little bit to get him in the shoebox. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so that, that, makes, so that sounds makes, really familiar. Yes, he's uh, he's part of the Volcano Volunteers. Ah, he, he, okay, does, gotcha. uh, he does uh, like large-scale 
model building. He used to do model building for, for Hollywood. In fact, he, he was one of the team on the Death Star and has a little piece of it in, nice. his, in his garage. Nice. The original 77 Death Star. I think I saw him present something at Steam Con yes. about yes. the Nautilus and yes. the 20,000 Leagues Beneath the yeah, Sea. Yeah, that sounds like him. Yeah, yeah, he built a section of the interior of the Nautilus of, you know, with a bulkhead and a porthole and, you know, and a That's rifle rack. and Awesome. <laughs> so wow. cool. Uh, anyway, this is back to the uh, Stumptown thing, though. So you got you'll have the boilerplate on display we at will the have, table, yeah. and uh, you'll have your books for sale. Yes, we will have our books. We will have um, prints of various shining examples of Paul's artwork, including uh, for the first time we're going to have a print that he print of some artwork that he just completed a couple of days ago for the San Diego Comic Con program book. Do you want to tell that. them about that? Oh yeah, yeah. Some just, of our friends may have seen it on Facebook and Twitter recently. Yeah, yes. I just did a I just did a piece uh, for the San Diego book, which was due Friday, of uh, River Song and the Second Doctor <laughs> fighting off weeping angels, and that was a lot of fun to do because. Uh, Anina, of course, makes a perfect model for River Song. And then once I actually did the illustration, I I could have shifted her features to look more like Alex Kingston, but I decided, you know what? I'm going to keep it Anina's likeness, and therefore, it'll be this great in-joke because people who know who Anina is will recognize Anina. People who don't know who Anna is will still recognize River Song. Oh, yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it looks great. So it's this best, best of both worlds. But then beyond So it's that, a really cool image of River Song, uh, Patrick Troughton, uh, the TARDIS, Stone Angels... Yes. It's cool. And we're, we're huge Doctor Who fans, and I would buy this print if I weren't going to get one. For, <laughs> yeah. If I weren't going to get one for free for my husband, <laughs> she's got an in on this. But beyond that, we also have um, Cable, uh, the director of Stump Cable Hashtani, the director of Stumptown, also asked some people to produce uh, some artwork, a poster print for Stumptown as an exclusive. Fantastic. And so I'm doing that. I'm doing a, uh, a boilerplate uh, image, which has not been seen anywhere else. That's not on our website. It's not on the book. And it's a spoof of the uh, Warhol uh, Marilyn Monroe lithograph. Okay. Ooh. So it's like the four boilerplate heads in these psychotronic colors. Awesome. <laughs> oh, man. That's so cool. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about Stumptown. Um, so Stumptown, this weekend, or not this weekend. No. Because we're well, on the weekend April right now. 27th and 28th. Yes, 27th, that. 28th. 10th anniversary. Opens at uh, Saturday at 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And Sunday, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. And because many, it's Portland, because it opens Portland. at noon on how, Sunday. How many artists <laughs> are, are going to be at, at the Stumptown Comics Festival this year? If you had to guess. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting the arms up. Uh, All five million. Uh, well, we have a ton of artists here in Portland. And I imagine that when it started, we, we had a lot of people that were just Portland. But this thing has been growing and growing. And you guys have have uh, oh, yeah. been getting people, more and more people from outside of Portland. There are people who uh there are people who are coming in to exhibit from outside of Portland and we're also bringing in um guests from outside of Portland as well. Right. Um I mean there have been that's been growing gradually over the years I think and it's becoming it's becoming better known in other parts of the country I think. And we have I can't remember the exact number of exhibitors because that's not really my bailiwick. Yeah, it's not it's not your say. job. <laughs> but uh but it's it's a couple hundred at least. Yeah. And it's a very the fun thing about this if you've never been to this show is that it's very creator focused. And so at some of the bigger conventions, they can be a lot of fun. You know, Emerald City is a great show up in Seattle. Yeah. Um but it's gotten so big and crowded that it can be a little bit difficult to have an intimate conversation with somebody. Um and at Stumptown you can still do that. You can go around and talk to people, you can get them to do a sketch for you. You can, you know, go talk, you know, go sit in a panel that they're doing and then talk to them after the panel. They don't have to rush off and have five meetings after the panel or whatever. Yeah, the vibe is similar to 
an artist's alley at a large show, like, right? Like at like at San Diego or Seattle or whatever, you know, WonderCon. It has that uh, artist alley vibe where every every table that you go up to, stuff that you see on the table, the guy sitting behind it is responsible. Yeah, it's not just a vendor selling you stuff. Well, there are publishers and comic shops and other uh, sure. you know, organizations sure. that set up there, so mm-hmm. you can buy stuff directly from the people who made it, and you can also buy it from um, various different publishers. And there are two different tracks, uh, several different tracks of panels and workshops. So there are discussion panels as well as active hands-on kind of workshops. Um, there are going to be, uh, all, by the way, all of this is on www.stumptowncomics.com. <laughs> That's right. Um, we'll there have will, a link in the show notes to that, of course. Thank you. There will be a series of um, uh, guided gallery tours where you can actually be driven around to different galleries in Portland that uh, have comic book related stuff. I did them. that last year. It was a lot of fun. Oh, did I, you? That I is did. cool. Yeah, I didn't I'd, I'd know that. I'd meant to in past, in past years and I'd just Me never too. gotten to do it. And I did it last year and it was very nice. Oh, Over that's good to know. Five. I'm glad you can vouch for it because we're always actually at the show. And so we can never go do the yeah. gallery tours. Um, there are, and then there are events leading up to it. There's going to yeah. be a There's kickoff. a kickoff party on Friday at the Things from Another World in Portland. Uh, Correct. Which actually starts with a signing by Bill Willingham at uh, 5 p.m. And then at 7 p.m. That's when the actual party happens. It's going to dovetail in, I would imagine. Free food and just like everything that Elizabeth organizes. Yes, yes she always puts out a lovely the, little spread of finger sandwiches and yeah. stuff like that. Yes. And if you're over 21, free beer. It's always uh, good. And Bill Willingham is one of the guests at the show. Um, he also he'll be at the convention over the weekend. That's right. We are actually scheduled to talk to Mr. Willingham on Sunday for Sweet. the podcast. It's true. Alley. I'm excited. I have to call him and make sure we don't wear the same outfit though. Okay. He's a good. He's a good rock. He's a good rock hunter. You guys will have fun with him. Yes. Cool. Um, and then, uh, there are a couple other things I want to make sure and, and promote since, uh, since we want as many people to come to them as possible. One is that we're having a, I think we mentioned a big party at the Jupiter hotel on Saturday, uh, April 27th and the doors open at 6 PM and there will be a musical act. There will be the Stumptown Awards emceed by Bobby Roberts. There will be, uh, the comic art battle, which is always fun. There's going to be free pizza and donuts. Uh, very affordable beer and wine. Yeah, I highly encourage the Stumptown Air Battle. I've emceed it a couple times in the past. Uh, last year, I even wore my Captain America helmet, part of that comic art battle shtick. Um, and this year, actually, the guy who started it, Ezra Clayton Daniels, is coming right. back because it's the special tenth anniversary. We wanted to, uh, you know, return it to the roots, as it were. And then during the convention, um, which is at the Oregon Convention Center all weekend, uh, we people will be able to enter a fundraiser raffle, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be at the Stumptown. We'll have prizes and uh, listed and on display at the Stumptown booth. So, what are some of the prizes at this raffle? Uh, we have all we have a wide variety of prizes. There's a lot of cool things people can enter to win. Do tell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing my job for me, Paul. <laughs> Um, there's going to be at least one, uh, golden ticket prize as, uh, as we call it, that has a higher, a higher raffle ticket, which is a we get to go to the chocolate factory (laughs) and get dipped in chocolate. Um, no, it's a Wacom tablet, which is a graphics tablet, which is great for illustrators. A lot of illustrators that we know use those. Um, and so that's going to have a higher ticket value. And I think most of the other prizes are going to be only, uh, you can, uh, get a raffle ticket for only a dollar. And we've got all different kinds of thing, things, everything from packages of comics and graphic novels to uh, original art. I know we're going to have a page of original art uh, from a Spider-Man comic. Um, one of the artists in Periscope, Steve Lieber, has agreed to do a custom sketch for Fantastic. anyone. So you can go get your, if you win that one, you can get your free sketch at the convention. 
um, and a local group that you might know something about, PDX Broadsides, mm-hmm. um, is donating a custom song. You can get a song written just for you if you win this. I'm awesome. Get, I'm getting that one for you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Is that my birthday present? It's <laughs> totally your birthday present. <laughs> nice. Uh, so that's all, all very cool. All different kinds of stuff. And then also various gift cards and gift certificates to different businesses around town, including things from another world. Right on. Well, it's, it would hardly be a Portland comics event without things from another world being They're involved. always very supportive. Yeah. They are. They are. They've even supported uh, the, the Kaiju cast every they once have. in a while. Yeah. Give us prizes for our live show and stuff like that. Uh, and actually, something that I would like to talk about, we are going to be involved with Podcast Alley this year, and uh, we were last year and the year before as well, but this year we're doing something totally different. Uh, we're broadcasting live all weekend long from that uh, from that booth, and uh, it's actually really cool. We actually have a, a two booths set up, and half of it's going to be set up for an audience. And the other half of it's going to be set up kind of like a living room so that uh, the different podcasts will be able to interview their guests in a very relaxed setting. It's, uh, it should be really awesome. Cool. Uh, and this, let's see, the podcasts that are doing uh, broadcasting are going to be Stumptown Trade Review, Geek in the City Radio, Ham-Fisted Radio, Chronicles of the Nerds, Radio Stumptown, that's all on Saturday, and then Sunday gets the Kaiju Cast, the first slot, <laughs> and uh, Dangerous Kids, and then Going Last. Uh, and you can all tune into that stuff from RadioStumptown.net. And I believe there's probably going to be a link uh, on the actual Stumptown Comics website as well to this. So if you can't be at the show, you can at least hear what's going on. Uh, and uh, anything else you guys want to talk about specifically Stumptown related? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm glad uh, we no, all decided to do yeah, that. That's pretty much it. Tenth, tenth anniversary. Uh, great show. Very affordable. Oh, kids under twelve get in free. Awesome. That very is cool. a first. That's also new, that's kids new that year. look like they're under twelve totally get in free. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's cool. I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, the uh, <laughs> okay. So uh, the only housekeeping things I wanted to talk about for KaijuCast stuff are that don't forget that if you want to submit your thoughts, questions, and reviews for Daikaiju Varan, uh, you need to have that in by the 23rd, which is just a couple of days away. Uh, we are going to be watching the subtitled Japanese version, and uh, then we're going to be recording, I think, uh, Tuesday night. So, oh, you got one more and thing? And then uh, just as a plug about our online presence, we have our website, BigRedHair.com, which is an umbrella for our boilerplate and Frank Reed websites. And you can see some of the fabulous uh, imagery that we have been talking about on our website, so you can get at least a a little bit of a a taste of what the books look like. So you can go to uh, either BigRedHair.com or you can go to BoilerplateRobot.com or FrankReed.com. And then you can also find us on Facebook. Frank Reed has a webpage. Boilerplate has a, a page on on Facebook as well, and then just recently we're launching, and we're on the Twitter and, and the, the, all the we're on all the things, all, the things. all, all your the social things. media networks. And then just recently we, uh, which we can talk about some in some future occasion, we're 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 relaunching our comic book series Heartbreakers, which we started about twenty more than twenty years ago, uh, which was a pioneering female action hero comic, and uh, that has a page now on Facebook. Yeah, she looks very familiar to me. 
She is. <laughs> yes. Redheaded. Over the years, smart. I became Paul's like only model, pretty much. <laughs> the, those characters were originally based on someone else, but they came to look like me. So we're going to be bringing out our um, our Heartbreaker stuff digitally for the first time. Oh, ever. fantastic! And there'll be more news about that. We'll have a coherent, you know, plan and release schedule. And we're going through a publisher we're very excited about, but we're not. We're going to wait until it's actually all in progress before we start heavily promoting. Yeah. It. So and and so, although we only update our website once a month. Every other day, we're doing some kind of update on our Frank Reed, Boilerplate, or Heartbreakers Facebook pages. So check that out. Splendid. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. If you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, and you want to experience the glory of uh, a giant monsters on in your ear holes, then make sure you go to <laughs> KaijuCast.com. Uh, we are on, also on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr, and our YouTube and Vimeo channels are you know, posting videos. What about Instagram? Are you on Instagram? No. <laughs> Thanks I for am, pointing out but... my foibles. <laughs> uh, I'll just take a bunch of pictures of your room and put them yeah. up there. You're welcome. I think that's pretty much all my Instagram account would be. Yeah. <laughs> an Instagram thing. What about MySpace? Are you on MySpace? <laughs> no. <laughs> I used to post yes, those on MySpace a long time ago. Uh, anyway, uh, we also have been doing commentaries. The commentaries are available online at commentaries.kaijucast.com. And please do subscribe to the commentaries and to the podcast with uh, iTunes or whatever your favorite podcatcher is. If you don't have a podcatcher that uh, grabs your most recent episodes of your favorite podcasts, we are also on Stitcher. So uh, check the links in the show notes and the links on the right-hand side of the website for all that. Uh, I did want to actually close with one song, um, but before I do that, I wanted to say thank you so much to not only Heather for showing up, but our special guests, Paul and Anina, for... <laughs> for coming by to talk about the Stumptown Comics Fest. Our pleasure. Thank you for letting us babble. And uh, I think because, Paul, you said something about liking Daimajin, I think what we're going to do is we're going to end this uh, in this episode with a song called Daimajin's Ferocity. Nice. And we'll uh, normally I'd say see you next month, but we'll see you later this week, actually. And hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Jamata.